Why does Ed Woodward look like a tramp? He looks like Ian Hislop if Ian Hislop had had a really, really rough few days. Now, I think Ed Woodward took the boat back from Australia and has been drinking all the way. I mean, can you blame him, though, to be honest? The amount of stick that man must get on a daily basis and how shockingly bad he appears to be at his job. He's probably just come from a meeting with our official responsible drinking partners, Smirnoff. Have you seen Trading Places? <laughs> of course, many, many times. Right, this is Dan Aykroyd post you know being fired <laughs> so what you're saying essentially is that he is just somebody random that the glazers pulled off the street for a bet and david gill yeah, is an experiment yeah. <laughs> yeah. yes so one day you know joel and brian glazer are going to swap a dollar yeah. you know i could i could turn a street bum into a ceo someone is making a dollar off ed woodward remains to be seen which way that's going to go yet although i think we've got our suspicions what a lovely, appropriate seasonal film reference, given that it is that specialist of all times of the year. Exactly. So, you know, I did actually play some football this week and won! Miracle! Talking of the specialist time of the year. Christmas miracles. Santa Claus exists and United win a game of football. As we record this bit of the show that you're hearing right now, We've not played the Stoke game yet because we just haven't got time to record a full podcast after the Stoke game. So we're going to slot that bit into the show. Uh, So we might say a bunch of stuff that sounds really incongruous uh, now. But in the fresh bloom of the joy of victory, uh, how was it for you, Ed? It was very good. Yes, uh, United actually played very well. Although I have to caveat it and say uh, that has got to be one of the worst performances by an opposition United has faced in some time. How pathetic were Villa. But United, very good, some nice goals, good attacking play, good strong performance all round, you know, and, and that guy scored twice. The joy of joys, the glory of all glories, Danny Welbeck goals. There is nothing better than Danny Welbeck goals. They should count double. It would probably be useful to Danny if they counted double too, given he's relatively... He might get, like, three or four a season. Hey, shut up, he's got four in the league already, and he was... Had a broken leg for most of the season or something like that. Danny Welbeck is easily my favourite Manchester United player at the moment. I'm not saying he's the best, I'm saying he's my favourite. So seeing him score goals is just a complete joy. In the first 10 minutes, Villa looked pretty effective and actually they really did look like they could just cut through our midfield at will. And you could even say that the first goal, I mean we'd kind of started to assert ourselves on the game before the first goal came, but it definitely solidified a period of United dominance and the second goal coming so quickly afterwards just destroyed Villa. And I think we've essentially discovered between the Leverkusen game and this game, the secret to making Antonio Valencia's form better is just make sure he plays against no left back. That seems to be the absolute answer, because, my goodness, did uh, Luna have a shocker? He really did, and, and it really helped Valencia, and, and he looked more and more confident, didn't he? This is Antonio Valencia 2010, or, or something like that, and hey, it's really nice to see. I, th- I thought he had a fantastic game, and, uh, yeah, of course, Luna had a real shocker, just couldn't cope, but uh, that was a lot of the Villa players. In truth, they, they seemed their heads went down very, very quickly, didn't they? And United were able to dominate as a result. Villa bright for a few minutes at the start. I, I guess you'd expect that it is one of their cup finals, isn't it? About three people turn up at Villa Park for normal games until United roll up into town and suddenly Villa fans are interested again. Uh, and so was their team for a little bit, but not very long. Uh, yeah, Benteke with a, a real proper stinker as well. Really ineffective, made the wrong decision on the ball all the time. 
Agbon Lahore, probably the exception for Villa, looked like he really wanted to do something in that game and he was their captain. It's funny, he doesn't strike you as captaincy material off the pitch necessarily, but on, on the pitch he did definitely lead by example for a very, very, very subpar Villa team. It's interesting, managers dropping like flies uh, this week, but no real talk that Paul Lambert's under any particular pressure, even though Villa have been abject when they've been bad this season. Well, you can only work with the tools you're given, right? And uh, Lambert has not been given any shiny new tools recently. He's, he's working with some young players, as we said last week, and it's not really worked out for them just yet. I think it's difficult when you... Uh, some irony in this, of course, you know, uh, Villa smashing United all those years ago and, and Alan Hansen being provoked to say you could win nothing with the kids, which was, of course, the last time Aston Villa beat United in the league at Villa Park. Uh, but Aston Villa will win nothing with the kids because they don't have enough quality around them. And, you know, the difference being that that United side actually has some really senior, experienced pros at the same time. Well, as Paul Skull says that, doesn't he? Right, and, and this Villa side's in some real trouble, I'd say, and... And, you know, you, you look at where the leadership's coming from that in that Villa side and you think, mm, there really isn't anything. And when Beteke, you know, their main man, their talisman, the guy who scored a goal every other game in the Premier League last season, you can't buy a goal, can he, at the moment? He's really in, having a stinky, just not, he's not playing well, doesn't look confident at all. You know, that, that brand new contract seems to have drained all his confidence and all will uh, away, which is a real shame. And then the young players are struggling as a result. I mean, some of them did okay, you know, and I thought all Brighton was bright. Westwood did okay against Giggs and, and cleverly in the centre and midfield for a while at least, and, and that was about it. And I guess they they uh, they were given a half-time talking to, weren't they? Because they came out and the, the tactic was, you know, kick the crap out of United. And it worked, I suppose, you know, in that it broke up United's play, but that was about it. All the way through what you were just saying now, I was thinking, oh, when I, I you know, when I think about like a, a, a team trying to play lots of young players and attacking football, and it's a hometown club for me, and so you sort of think oh well I kind of hope they do alright but now I want them to get horrifically relegated for their pathetic viciousness in the second half it really was just like petulant children they couldn't get the ball off United they couldn't win the game so they were just kicking lumps out of United and, and United's players getting really really wound up by the end of that Danny Welbeck tried to start a fight at one point and he doesn't necessarily seem the type to be quick to blows right yeah well but it is Baker and Loughton in particular were really having a go I and mean, Loughton you know hacking away at uh, Yanazai, who didn't have a particularly good game. Um, in part because he just didn't get the ball as much because United was so focused on that, that right-hand side, that sort of triangle of cleverly Valencia and Rafael really did work well, didn't it? It was a you know, real source of penetration for United, whereas the left-hand side wasn't. And Yanazai just didn't get as much of the ball as he wanted. And when he did, he got kicked, which uh, Moyes pointed out afterwards, asking for more protection for the young player, which is fair enough uh, after that game when the referee really gave him very little protection at all. Uh, yeah, Yanazai using his uh, special move quite a lot in that game. His basic, you know, like Ryu's fireball or Ken's dragon punch or the other way around, whatever it is. Every time he got the ball, he just kept it until somebody fouled him because they were just fouling him consistently every time. And, and he can just keep the ball until somebody kicks him, basically. So, yeah, he used that to good effect. He got United a lot of dangerous set pieces. But at some point, you know, he's got to stop taking those punches. And I, I do think it's an issue. He's come in for some treatment since he emerged uh, onto the scene, for sure. And you kind of understand that that's going to happen to talented young players. But he really does deserve a bit more protection from referees, I think. Well, yeah. I mean, you talked about special powers. He's got two special powers. One is he's Mr. Magnet. The ball does not leave his feet. His first touch and second touch and third touch is completely magic, isn't it? Uh, And the other one, he's like Mr. Rubber because he just bends when players clump him. 
But uh, look, two fantastic qualities, but you really hope he doesn't get hurt. And and it's not being hyperbolic that it's a serious concern, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The, the, the players get frustrated because they can't get the ball off him and they just thump him. Yeah. And he, he came in for some real treatment, which is a worry. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but he, and, I mean, this is a conversation. We've had a lot of conversations about Yanazai, which are reminiscent of conversations about Ronaldo. And uh, worth pointing out that his majestic salmon-like leap uh, for Danny Welbeck's first goal was extremely Ronaldo-esque, I thought. Uh, unlucky not to score both the goals that Danny scored, Yanazai, because right. the first one, he hit the post and Welbeck reacted. I mean, not to bang on about Danny, but I think it's time to bang on about Danny for a bit. He reacted just wonderfully to that coming off. The, I mean, he just looked like a every inch the poacher, which he, he doesn't always look like. And, you know, I mean, a, a very strong argument that Welbeck's at his best when he's played centre-forward. I mean, there are people that don't rate Danny Welbeck, and I basically, I don't really have any interest in having meaningful conversations about football with them, because it's like, well, yeah, Danny Welbeck has flaws, but if you don't rate him at all, you're just crazy, because he adds so much to the team as a whole. He works like an absolute Trojan. He constantly, as soon as they get the ball, he's putting them under pressure. He's got the, the complete range of skills, and when he's confident, you can see like when he's instinctive his finishing's good too you know it's just he really badly overcomplicates things and sure I think- sure i mean uh, you know like trojans he's always up for it sorry <laughs> sorry uh, anyway <laughs> uh, look back, back to welbeck look uh, i think the problem is he just doesn't score enough right and if he started scoring regularly uh, and this it, it wasn't a surprise when he did then we wouldn't be having this critical conversation about him sometimes so he, he's the complete center forward when he plays like that power pace great touch brilliant awareness of the players around him he's a complete centre forward and of course scored the poacher's goal sorry to get a bit Kino on this one but uh, I think when you're four yards out and the ball's bouncing around and you're a striker you do that right you don't get praise for it that's what you're supposed to do uh, and it, he, he's getting praise for it because he doesn't normally do that so maybe that's a lesson for him um, and then what, one more comment on, on the first goal at least if Yanazai was more like Ronaldo he'd have stuck that in the top corner of course not hit the post <laughs> Four goals in ten games in the Premier League for Danny Welbeck this season. Not not a bad return. Two goals at international level as well. Three braces have come in, admittedly. But I think there are just more goals to come from Welbeck. That's just what I think. I think if he gets a consistent run. We uh, had a question from at Jippers92 saying, um, do you think that Danny can be an adequate replacement for Robin as Robin's out for a month? And I think nobody could be an adequate replacement for Robin. There's like two other strikers in the Premier League that are at Robin's level. But I do think that Danny's going to get a lot more goals than he would have got if Robin was playing in the next month, you know, because he'll play up front a lot and he's done his case no harm. It's bad news for Javier Hernandez, for sure. Sure, and, and we're recording this before the Stoke game, so of course, for those listening after the Stoke game, well done on Javier Hernandez for his hat-trick against Stoke in the Capital One Cup. <laughs> nah. Anyway, look, yeah, inevitable. Look, it's, it's great that he's scoring. We want the goals to be spread around, of course, because that lowers the risk for United and players can come in when we have injuries and we've got injuries. Talking of injuries, uh, one of those other players that is at Robin Van Persie's level, Sergio Aguero, injured out for a month. What a shame. Oh, heart, heartbreaking yeah. for the lad. Shame that the other one, the racist bastard over at uh, Loser Pool, is still 
scoring goals for fun loser Paul I know I got all four surely year that's, that's that's got to be I can't believe you didn't go with Liverpool <laughs> no that's just childish you know but yeah I mean gosh Suarez just looks ridiculous at the moment but I think every time that anyone says that they should be contractually obliged to say racist footballer Luis Suarez is in very good form at the moment isn't he miracles never cease do they maybe he'll turn around and uh, pull out a Nelson Mandela t-shirt after he scores his next hat trick it seems, good. I, I, seems I unlikely like but you know I, hey I, I, redemption I is within us all isn't it so yeah absolutely too right talking um, of which sorry to segue all over the place here uh, sir alex ferguson uh, gratefully accepting an award from the bbc this week <laughs> That was even worse than our tribute to him at his last home game. My goodness, the level of kind of crazy dictatorial hero worship in that. I really felt for old David Moyes in that lineup. And the, the definitive answer as to why Gary Neville and Ryan Giggs and Paul Scholes were so pointedly excluded from Keno's best 11 was that VO that played before he got his uh, award with the three of them uh, waxing lyrical about his many skills. Uh, a Tottenham fan supporting friend of mine on Facebook this week writing how horrifically angry he was for the BBC wasting taxpayers money honouring a man that wouldn't even talk to them for so many years bit petty you know best football manager in British history well yes and anyway look uh, back to the Aston Villa game and a couple other comments I wanted to make about that one was uh, United loose through midfield and the back again Aston Villa created a lot of chances it was kind of in my mind that uh, you know United were superior but Villa seemed to be creating chances I went back and looked at the stats because I wanted to work out whether I just imagined that or it was real or not and Villa had 17 shots uh, not many of them on target mind you but 17 shots and that's pretty impressive for a side that was so poor you know they managed to create chances and part of that I think is because of United's structure through midfield I mean Giggs and Cleverly no one defending at all I mean and we know neither of them can defend uh, and it was causing United a bit of a problem again I mean, yeah, as I say, in the first 10 minutes, it looked like Villa could just attack at will. And it's interesting that you say they had 17 shots because it does feel like a game that we dominated. But, um, you know, they could, if they really wanted to, they could just, uh, as soon as they had the ball, we were in trouble, basically. Absolutely no protection offered. But a word of praise for Tom Cleverley, that rarest of things. Uh, Apart from defensively, I thought he had a a really good game because we know he can't defend. But what he can do and should do is be able to be effective in the sort of attacking into to play uh, linked up well with Raphael and Valencia and Welbeck and got himself on the score sheet with a bursting run got into the box in a really nice finish and really lovely to see and really passionate celebrations from Cleverly who's a, a much maligned United lad but a United lad nonetheless well yes much maligned for good reason though because his performances haven't been up to the level that we want from a Manchester United midfielder but look he played the ball very very well against Philly but he got the ball a lot 82 passes from Cleverly that's character territory that is uh, and and much superior to any other midfielder at United over recent games right uh, Fellaini and Jones have been around the 50 mark so he's getting the ball he's moving it he's moving it very accurately he's helping United to create attacks and he had a very very good game and you could say that whether he scored or not and uh, a nice goal as well a neat finish uh, beat the keeper at his near post you wouldn't like that if you're a keeper but you know he picked the spot and as you say passionately celebrated probably because uh, brand cleverly uh, team told him to get out there and win over some fans 
I, I think that's nonsense. <laughs> I think it's because he's a huge Man United fan. You know, he's been at the club since he was a boy. Him, him and test, test, Paul, you, you're taking it all too seriously. <laughs> he just gets so much stick, and I, and you're right, it's kind of deserved in terms of performance. Interestingly enough, I think the player that should most be the role model for Tom Cleverley is the man who came on to rapturous ovation. No, not Ashley Young. Darren Fletcher back in the United first team a player who at Tom Cleverley's age was getting lambasted for not being anywhere near good enough and called Fergie's son and all this kind of stuff the Scottish player yeah absolutely but has grown into well he grew into an absolutely vital member of United squad the best midfielder at the club for some periods of his career and whatever happens from here on out it was absolutely wonderful to see him back in the Premier League it I, really I was yeah never ever thought I'd see it well and he says he's back for good and that he's now cured of his uh, ulcerative colliosis I'm sure I'm saying that wrong <laughs> problem colitis colitis problem yeah. and uh, the operation that well three operations that he had has gone very well I mean I can't imagine that he's going to have a significant impact on United season but hey maybe look it's uh, it feels like it's a major major development that he's back at all there was definitely a call made at some point that this is now or never he's, he said this in an interview this week didn't he that he had to do it he had to make a choice it, it could have not healed properly and he wouldn't be playing football anymore and, and and he's back. Let's hope he's back to his best because, you know, it'll be like a new signing and Edward Wood won't have to go out there and buy another player. And it'd be very good, you know. And I think he's going to end up being a more limited player than he once was. Two years. He's basically had two years out of the game. I can't imagine he's coming back to be that driving box-to-box player. But we'll see. We'll see, you know. Hey, uh, Tom Cleverley had a good game. And maybe that says something about Aston Villa. A lot of praise for Cleverley. I, I can't help but say this. As well as he used the ball and a lot of passes, you know, if you look, go look Look at his passing heat map or whatever they call it these days. It, it you know it looks like a zebra crossing, right? It's going side to side to side to side, and and he just needs to be more progressive with his passing. He needs to take a little bit more of a risk because he is a ball playing midfielder, right? Doesn't put in enough tackles, or he needs to learn from Darren Fletcher and and uh, get in players' faces a bit more. One last thing, uh, nice quotes I saw uh, Dan Harris um, mention on Twitter from Darren Fletcher in which he goes on about he made a decision. And he's going to get in players' faces and he gets in them whether they've got the ball or whether they've got, not got the ball. And he wants them to know that you know, whether it's Gerard or Lampard, that he's going to be around them and making their life difficult for 90 minutes. And a, a great example of a, a player who, when he was 16, was thought of as a, an attacking midfielder and turned himself into something else and made a real career for himself until he uh, fell ill. Absolutely. And, you know, it's such an inspiration. When you suffer from serious health conditions, it's so horrendously life-changing that when you see people coming back to it and approaching something like their best, because obviously, like, there's almost no way he's ever going to be as good as he was at his absolute prime. But just to be a professional sports person after an illness that required three operations, you know, this is a phenomenal strength of character and I think it shouldn't be underestimated. I think, you know, it's so easy to brush over that as like oh yeah it's football that's been injured for a couple of years and is now back and that's a big deal but I think to just appreciate the size of that comeback it's 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 a really special moment it really is and hopefully he will be able to be a useful part of the squad and it won't just be a kind of mascot role but even if it's a kind of cameo occasional cameo thing still pretty extraordinary achievement so well done Darren Fletcher well done Darren Fletcher well anyway that was the Villa game and United's league season back on course after two defeats in a row and, and United are pulling away from Villa now they're six points ahead of Villa and we're solidly holding on to eighth 
it's uh, it's awesome stuff but although look it is a tight league and and uh, it's eighth but only six points behind uh, Everton in fifth or seven behind Manchester City in fourth so uh, have a very strong December period and United are right back in it for the European places I suspect but it's going to take a very strong December I think we need uh, three more league wins in a row now it's a Counting Crow song, isn't it? A strong December and there's reason to believe. Not quite, but no. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, on to the Stoke game. And uh, as Paul mentioned earlier, we uh, recorded this podcast in two parts. So uh, this is what we thought about the Stoke game. So, uh, as I said, here's our 10-minute or so segment on the Stoke game. So, United 2-0 winners and safely through to the semi-finals of the Carling Cup. I can't help myself, can I? Capital One Cup. That's how much I loved the Carling Cup. Uh, The Capital One Cup, uh, semi-final against Sunderland to come. What do you think of the game, Paul? I thought, on the whole, very low quality. Similar to the echo chamber, it sounds like you're recording this bit of the podcast in. We've had to work around Ed's incredible party schedule this week to, to fit this in, and that's why you can hear some echo on his side of it I mean the first half was insanely bad like as bad a half of football as I've ever seen in my life but it definitely definitely got better in the second half Yes, it did. Well, um, yeah, because United won as well, I suppose. Uh, and there was a little bit more quality. I mean, I can't get away from just how bad overall the quality was. I know it was blowing a gale and uh, at, at one point hailing, which I'd like to come on to as well. But really, these are two top flight sides. They can do better than this. Uh, the fact that uh, Stoke were outpassing United in centre and midfield at one stage was um, quite something to behold, wasn't it? But still, look, United is through. Uh, it was not a first choice 11. Certainly a number of changes there, although a very very strong side uh, from Moyes uh, given the circumstances and, and the fact that Wayne Rooney may well have played if you hadn't been injured anyway so it seems like uh, Moyes is uh, keen to win this tournament and in the end United got through two very fine goals so let's start at the team selection stage Rooney injured with his traditional however I love Christmas injury it's amazing how often Wayne gets a little niggle at this time of year it's almost like he wants to play with his new toys and not have to go to boring old training he wants to play with his train set not do training Patrice Evra selected in the League Cup before the semi-final stage for the first time in his United career according to the Sky Sports commentators last night a remarkably strong team selection in defence and goalkeeper as well and it kind of shows you I think that he feels that he really does have to give this some priority in order to try and win it and I I, you know I don't actually think that was a terrible decision to be honest because I think it is really quite important that we're still in this tournament this season depressing as that might be probably United's best chance of silverware I mean what, one thing I'd say it was a very strong side but quite a negative outlook I mean Phil Jones played so deep in midfield he was effectively a third central defender uh, I, I saw some people talking about a 4-3-3 it most certainly wasn't it was more like a 5-4-1 uh, United you know very flat back five at stages last night and, and tucked in fairly narrow as well in, in midfield and uh, Young and Valencia attempting to support uh, Welbeck up front but you know there was a big gap between the back and the front was wasn't there and, and that's why uh, yeah, uh, quite a, for quite a lot of the game the, the game was a very low quality from United which was disappointing but hey this is three wins on the bounce three clean sheets as well and, and I guess that's what we expected of uh, a David Moyes side uh, wasn't it? I mean yeah although I really think I was watching some American football the other day many people might have seen this it was American football in the snowiest snow that ever snowed and at one point a man threw the ball as they do in American football and another man tried to catch it and he dropped it 
it and the commentator was like oh he shouldn't have dropped that and I was thinking he can barely see it's incredibly freezing cold there's snow falling out the size about three foot of snow on the ground all of a sudden maybe not three foot might be a slight exaggeration but at least a foot and uh, the commentator's having a pop at him for not catching it and I feel like having a go at the quality of football in that game is kind of ridiculous because well, do you know what? The the wind doesn't affect the ball when it's rolled along the ground. Well, yes, it does. Of course it does. Of course. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the ball was going much faster in one direction than the other. And funnily enough, Ashley Young's blinding worldie uh, went in against the wind, which means like if it was going with the wind, how fast would that have gone? But, you know, the, the, the rain's at one point... Right, let's, let's just talk about it. Clattenberg brought them off for Hale because he couldn't see two foot in front of him. And people were saying that was not a good decision. That seems to be the height of some sort of weird masco, macho craziness to me because the referee can't see what's going on. So he can't make any judgments about whether something's a foul or not or a penalty or not or anything like that. If he can't see, of course it should be called off. Nonsense. What are you talking nonsense. about? I just don't, I don't get how nonsense. the opposite, well, opposite view to this makes any sense. You- Explain it to me. Well, I haven't, I haven't, well, you haven't allowed me to give an opposite view yet. You're just going to talk and talk and talk until no one else can say anything, clearly, you know. Did it sting a little bit? Were the, the pellets hurting his little whittle arm? Paul Clattenburg. Or oh, used to be a man's game, football. Used to be a man's game. You could tackle and uh, you could, you could basically break people's necks and carry on playing and now you know there's a little bit of ice falling from the sky and uh, no one can play look i i don't believe for a second that he couldn't see uh, it wasn't so bad that he can have got his head up there they play in snow uh, as long as the ball is rolling along the ground and it's not dangerous for the players it's okay so I've seen football played in way worse conditions it was uh, pretty ridiculous frankly so you're telling me you genuinely believe he came off because he was in pain, not because his visibility was impaired. That's your, that's your, you're not being funny. This is like your, what you seriously think happened. Well, look, you're presenting two very black and white views there. I think that uh, it was a little uncomfortable for him and that, that's coloured his judgement. I don't think it was that difficult a condition. So anyway, look, you know, this isn't that important. But <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's, not, it's not that important, but genuinely, like, I, I, I try and hear other people's arguments. I, I hear what you're saying. It seems like science fiction to me because you could barely see the ball through the hail on, on camera. He, he went round clearly saying to everyone, there's no visibility. I can't see. I can't make a decision. If a long ball had been played into the box and he was, you know, halfway in our half and the ball was in the box and then Shawcross had taken out Danny Welbeck... How was Clattenburg at that point supposed to make any kind of sensible, rational judgment about whether or not that was a penalty? If you well, he could have opened his eyes rather than cowering <laughs> and going, oh, this is hurting me. You know, I, I, all right, there was a great right. bit when, uh, when Clattenburg came off the pitch. Clearly the Stoke bench uh, agrees with me because one of them came up to him and put their coat over his head to protect him, poor Willow Clattenburg. Yeah, but they also put their head over their own Stephen Ireland whose head was getting a, a pelting. The one player that simply refused to come off the pitch because he would have been an affront to his masculinity was Jonathan Walters a man so macho he said to Robert Huth in hilarious banter that he was going to buy him a copy of Attitude magazine on the way to the, the dressing room clearly I've lost the run of myself this is not an argument that makes sense to me Clearly, clearly. Did you know what? It was so bad that uh, as the players came off the pitch, the Stoke subs ran out and started playing football. That's how bad it was. Yeah, it didn't take long to clear up and he got them back on the pitch pretty quickly. Uh, maybe a bit longer than it needed to be, but I, th- I guess you wait and see if it comes again. But I think we can happily agree to disagree at this time of giving and goodwill to all man. Let's agree to disagree. 
Okay, so so in that spirit, we'll agree that I'm right and you're terribly wrong, and uh, <laughs> no, and, no and, way. and move on. So, uh, what do you think of the goals? Uh, Ashley Young with his swinger. Oh. So Ashley Young's got two feet: his right foot and the one he crumples underneath him when he dives. I want to tell you, I might as well do about a boy who could do anything. It comes from Aston. His name is Ashley. Ashley Young. Ashley Young. Ashley Young. Oh dear. No, clearly not. But what happened there? Like, I, I, I say at some point in this podcast, you've either heard this or it's coming up later, that Ashley Young is better than the Ashley Young we've seen. And it's stuff like this that makes me say that because that was one heck of a finish, wasn't it? He just swung his foot. He didn't have much choice, actually, I think, given that the challenge was coming in. He did absolutely leather it. Uh, he, he had another shot later in the uh, in the match that went nearer the corner flag than the goal. So normal order was restored. And I thought it was, frankly, ridiculous that he got the man of the match because he didn't have a very good game. I mean, you know, a, a number of overhit crosses, uh, pretty low quality all round, uh, scored a brilliant goal. That doesn't mean it was a brilliant performance, does it? I have to say he's a remarkably frustrating footballer. He only has two modes. One is shoot and the other is dive. I was I was I was going to say when you said he had no choice but to leather it because the challenge was coming. I can think of another thing he might have chosen to do. <laughs> Bless little old Ashley and his diving socks. Well, yeah. And of course, David Moyes vindicated for his substitution. Uh, Chicharito, the man that uh, laid the ball off to him. And uh, yeah, going a bit more attacking worked for United. And then, uh, even better, piece of magic from Patrice Evra, slaloming into the box and then curling a beauty into the top corner with his right foot. Have you ever seen that before? No, uh, he said in the post-match interview, uh, when he was not talking about United's winning mentality, he said that his right foot's only good for getting on the bus, which I thought was quite, quite a good line. What a finish. Wonderful. Cut inside. I mean, it was just a real surreal game, wasn't it? Ashley Young scored and Ever scored with his right foot. And so on to Sunderland. What, I, I suppose a good draw for United in that it's the uh, lowest quality opposition we could have faced. Much better, I think, in terms of the scheduling than, than playing Manchester City in the semi-final. I can, I can understand why some fans were disappointed because there are definitely better away games than going to Sunderland in terms of, you know, the, the fans' trip. But hey, uh, a good chance, I think, for United to get through. Uh, I know Sunderland beat Chelsea, but I, I'm sure that Moyes' team will fancy themselves over two legs and it's all set up nicely for a City-United derby final. Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I kind of hope that doesn't happen because West Ham knock out City somehow. It seems a little unlikely, but you never know. Not at all rigged, right, that draw. Not at all the draw that the FA or whoever runs the League Cup would have been hoping for. Honest as a day is long, Peter Reid and Andy Cole looking very sharp, pulling the, the numbers out. I can't believe there was a build-up to a 30-second draw, but still, hey. Uh, also, um, it reminded me of, you know, in Coming to America, where the owner of the restaurant, McDowell's, says, they've got the golden arches, mine are the golden arcs. And it was like, the FA Cup draw have got balls, we've got cubes. <laughs> got to do it differently. To go back to the beginning of the game, what did you make of the lineup when you, I mean, in particular, the decision to play Evra? What, what do you make of that decision? Well, that was something Fergie just never would have done, right? No, right. Well, um, Moises clearly decided that Butner is so bad, so bad, that it's not worth playing him even in, in the Carling Cup. Well, I thought, I mean, as soon as I saw it, I thought, oh, this looks, this looks a little bit negative, although uh, yeah, clearly strong in terms of the personnel that were involved. And uh, it's a little bit of a shame that Fabio wasn't even in the squad. I don't know what he's done, but it's very unpleasant. Whatever he's done, he can't get anywhere near the squad at the moment. Uh, and I thought this is... A perfect chance for Zahar to get a game. I mean, if you can't play him in this kind of game, when do you? Um, surely he's deserved a chance more than Anderson and Young. 
I guess you couldn't play him instead of Anderson, could you? Because systemically, I mean, Anderson, it has to be said, for a man on surely his last chance at United. Um, I know we've said that for, what, three years running? Six yeah. years. <laughs> um, but an absolutely terrible performance. Uh, just, oh, just yeah. abysmal. Just abysmal. A, uh, just. You might not have rated Ashley Young's performance, but it was quite a lot better than Anderson's, right? Yeah, uh, uh, he's gone. I mean, actually, I would be surprised if he's sold in January. I, I know they're looking for a buyer, and I suppose if a bid came in, they'd, they'd probably take it. But uh, I can't see the motivation for Moyes weakening, weakening his squad in the middle of the season. You know, Anderson's barely going to play anyway between now and, and May, I suppose. But yeah, terrible performance. Summed up his time at United. Uh, United will get rid at some point over the next two windows, and that will have been €30 million Euros very well. Spent not. If you uh, had to pick a man of the match in that game, because I, I was sat there racking my brains thinking about who I'd give it to, and I think I might have just about gone for Patrice because he did a bunch of good stuff. Obviously, I would just have given it to Danny Welbeck, but that's not exactly fair. It was a bit sad, really, because Danny started the game. He looked absolutely full of confidence. Like, his touch was really assured and a couple of really tidy passes and some excellent tracking back, but he just did not get a sniff of a chance, did he? Because there was no service whatsoever. Well, clearly I'd have given the man of the match to referee, legend, leader, Mark Lattenberg. <laughs> Do you think that's why he took him off? Because United were having a bit of a tough time of it and, you know, he, he's got to sort us out, hasn't he? Yeah, that's right. And anyway, with that, I, I guess we should move on to the rest of the podcast. Yeah, I can't remember what we said. We said we did this two days ago, but I hope, here you go, enjoy what we said two days ago. Most of it seems like it's still relatively... Oh. One thing before we... Just the final word on the Stoke game. How phenomenal was it to have, uh, well, officially about 4,300, but apparently more like 5,200 Manchester United fans in the away end? What an atmosphere. I don't know... Well, you watched it in the pub, right? I did. Yeah, so I don't know if they were playing... Were they playing the sound or was they it... They were not. No. I mean, it, it's really special. It's so it's so good, even though the game's so bad. I would like recommend watching the last 20 minutes of that because the whole songbook was rolled out. The, the Adnan Yanazai song that I, I brutally ruined by making it about Ashley Young got many, many an airing because it is the most addictive song in the world, I think. Many of us have had that in our heads for the last few weeks. Um, but the, uh, the, the when when Darren Fletcher came on... I just got proper goosebumps because every single person in the United end singing there's only one Darren Fletcher and then just a good 10 minutes of if Fletcher scores we're on the pitch if Fletcher scores we're on the pitch and at one point I'm pretty sh- and also every time he got the ball they were urging him to shoot so long as he was in, he was in the, uh, the half the attacking half but at one point, I think Darren Fletcher deliberately decided not to score in order to, like, he could have had a shot and he laid it off instead. And I'm pretty confident that was just because he didn't want to start an international incident that it would have done. Anyway, uh, yes. I'm uh, sure. Uh, once again, United's travelling support, yes, absolutely support. M- wonderful. Uh, and and really, uh, the the commentator right at the beginning of the game said, uh, as always, a wonderful atmosphere in the Britannia Stadium. And you just, I mean, it's no exaggeration to see to say that you you heard Stoke fans for ten minutes maximum, and that that United end was going completely crazy. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure those of you who were there had a pretty good time. I'm sure, or as always, very good United away support. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, uh, uh, we now return you to your regularly scheduled rantcast. God, that was extremely intelligent analysis, wasn't it, Ed? God, great stuff, great stuff. And isn't it great to see United run up a cricket score of uh, (laughs) 3-0? Yeah. 
<laughs> Isn't it a shame that we're out of the Carling Cup? Oh, what what a, a notable draw that was. Oh no, it can't be a draw, can it? It, it, it might it might have been decided on penalties. Oh, the dramatic last minute winner from Danny Welbeck. That was good, wasn't it? Never liked the Milk Cup, anyway. <laughs> the the Rumbelows Cup's rubbish. Alright, so I think we should do some Twitter questions. These are pre-Stoke game Twitter questions, ladies and gentlemen. At Econies says, what do you think Santa will bring David Moyes this year? Well, one thing we didn't talk about during the Villa game coverage is Santa appears to have come early and brought with him a bit of tactical flexibility and some cojones because Wayne Rooney was played pretty much in midfield during that game. That was either a 4-3-3 or a 4-5-1 or a 4-2-3-1, depending on which way you look at it. Um, but it certainly was not a 4-4-2, was it? No, I mean, he played very deep, very, very deep, actually. And uh, yeah, pretty effectively in midfield, even though I guess he was given the role of linking uh, Giggs cleverly and Danny Welbeck. But yeah, interesting that one. And um, maybe uh, David Moyes will be brought a transfer request from Wayne Rooney. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a surprise? Never had that one before. So I'm I'm not sure there'll be an awful lot in Santa's sack for Wayne Rooney. Uh, maybe United will do some business. There's, there's some talk about Freddie Guerin, the Inter player. Hey, I'm not really sure that it's going to be a transformational one. You know, he's a decent player and he's had a very good season, but he's that kind of box-to-box. He's energy and drive rather than guile. Uh, and maybe... Oh, don't don't we? Wouldn't that be brilliant? That sounds brilliant to me. Energy and drive in midfield. Yeah, but he's, you know, he's like... Mm. All right. Okay. He's not going to be United's Yaya Torre. Let's put it like that. <laughs> can we just sign Yaya Torre so everyone can shut up about United's Yaya Torre? That would be nice, wouldn't it? Uh, I think that one's not. Uh, interesting that United's sniffing around Marcus Royce again, who does have a contract release clause. Uh, at about 30 million which I guess is perfectly affordable uh, yes please thank you very much can't see it happening in January but uh, <laughs> yeah I, I would you know I, I, uh, I will believe in Santa again if that one is pulled off Merry Christmas to us Merry Christmas to us yeah that would be really nice at Manchester Red says how good was it to see Fletch back on the pitch versus Villa yeah we'll wax lyrical about that one that's absolutely wonderful these are all very Christmassy of course at Amon Palman speculating that Darren Fletcher might be be the best Christmas present we get this year hopefully he's not the main present you know hopefully he's like one. he's like a stocking filler and the, the actual main scale extrix stroke video game console is still to come at Carrick is my icon says or he just wants to make it clear that his daughter was singing the Carrick song four years before it got onto the terraces I've seen the evidence of that on YouTube it's true and he also says if, if it comes down to it do we think that Moyes made the wrong decision bringing all the coaching staff from Everton I think we pretty much much said that we do right I mean I, I think it's it's a difficult one but he certainly lost an awful lot of talent and Robin's out right and we, we haven't really talked about that in any detail out for a month do you know anything definitive or heard any good behind the scenes rumours about the fact that this is connected to the training or is it Robin still having a lot of say in his own training so so the injury so old injury plus 90 minutes against Newcastle uh, nutty 90 minutes uh, equals new injury is not is not a an equation that we can prove I, I think you don't need to know any insider knowledge on Robin Van Persie's feelings about training they just read the Dutch press because uh, his people have been making it quite clear there so yeah Van Persie not as happy with the training regime as he once was uh, has made it known uh, doesn't get the same kind of say although that analysis doesn't jibe very well with Moyes asking Van Persie if he'd stay on the full minutes the uh, full 90 minutes against uh, Newcastle of course you know those things don't kind of feel like they both ring 
true, although it seems like that's the case. Anyway, basically just feels like a terrible decision. A player who is, has a history of being fragile played in less than three quarters of Arsenal's games over nine years uh, because of injury. Only really had one fully fit season and then one for United and um, you know, was wrapped in cotton wool as a result player who understand his experience understands his own body and uh, was made to play a full 90 minutes after being out for a while it's no surprise when he gets another injury is it no it really isn't uh, lots and lots of Danny Welbeck themed questions I can't think why my Twitter account would attract that kind of response but at, at United Adnan says is Welbeck the best player in the world I mean currently he surely is obviously if not the best player in the world definitely the best player in the world if you know what I'm saying well, he's at least in the top one <laughs> yeah at D Ortega Zero says how do you think Danny will do when he joins up with the Brazil squad <laughs> excellently no doubt actually do you know what they genuinely could really do with Danny Welbeck in the Brazil squad he would definitely uh, uh, they've got a good little forward in a guy called Neymar who's doing all right at Barcelona these days talking of Barcelona um interesting piece in the papers this week claiming that United were prepared to pay 90 million euros for Lionel Messi I assume that was for the rights to clean Lionel Messi's boots because that's all they'd get for 90 million you're joking did that really happen I I've no idea whether it really happened but it was definitely in the paper absolutely insane I guess also talking of Barca one thing we did not acknowledge that we were going to cover this has happened by the time we record this the draw for the Champions League has happened has. the uh, rank cast listener Sleepy Nick Derby his dad being a, an Olympiacos fan obviously the draw could have been less favourable to United but I was looking at the possible teams that the teams that finished second could get I have to say I don't really like saying this but I'm pretty sure I would have looked at that list if I was in Piacos and thought please get United please get United <laughs> Please get United. Yeah, that's one way of analysing it, I suppose. The other way is to say that you know I've got a good draw there, you know, and uh, four times we've played Olympiacos, four times uh, we've won. You'd expect United to win this one too. I mean, really, this is also the Roy Carroll derby. That's very important information that Roy Carroll plays in goal for Olympiacos. They're a decent side, but you would expect United to win that. And there were a lot of draws that you wouldn't necessarily ex expect United to win. But I, did, I do think we might have been the single weakest of all the group winners. Uh, certainly right now, maybe by February, that 90 million bid for Messi will have transformed us. Yeah, I mean, look, they did okay in the group stages as well, didn't they? I mean, they had what looked on paper like a, a pretty tough group with Paris Saint-Germain and Benfica and Anderlecht in, in there, and they came through that, you know, managed to come through just squeak through on the head-to-head -head goal difference, a weird system that UEFA uses there on 10 points. Of course, Napoli knocked out on 12 points. They might feel a little aggrieved by that. They're a decent side, but that's it. They're a decent side. And um, I think United, you've got to be confident that United are going to go through. I mean, who knows where United are in February and March when the uh, sides are played. Basically, right now, you say United are favourites to go through. We'll be in the quarterfinals without looking particularly like a great United side. But, you know, there you go. Absolutely, and Manchester City are going to have a right old job on their hands because our draw is pretty favourable. It's quite funny, the order of it, because it, I'm pretty sure the City-Barcelona game was drawn immediately before the United-Olympiacos uh, game, so there were lots of cries of Galluminati as the two <laughs> relative fixtures came out of the hat. Very good. Well, you know, Pellegrini-Gate has come back to bite them, hasn't it? Yeah, for sure, or maybe uh, they're going to knock out one of the favourites, you know, because I definitely don't think it's going to be a walkover for Barcelona, given, I mean, this is a long way off, but if City's home form by then is anything like it is now, 
But then, you know, even though they're slightly struggling, this is all relative. They are top of the league, you know. Um, it's uh, it's it's not a struggle that most of us would recognise as a struggle, is it? They're not really struggling. They're, they're playing some decent football and, uh, of course, they'll have Messi back by then. Might be an interesting question, of course. You know, Messi out for at least another month or so. Good for Messi, good for Argentina, I'd suggest. You know, he's going to play less football this season than he might have done otherwise. Uh, but Neymar is playing really, really good football through the centre, you know, in the weird way that Barcelona play with a centre forward. And so, you know, it's it's not obvious that Messi will get back into his old position or at least it will give the coach a thing to think about or two. Anyway, look, we're getting diverted. We were on Twitter questions, weren't we? We were at Bridgie3 says, do more United players believe in Father Christmas than David Moyes? I think it might just be the same player that believes in Father Christmas and David Moyes because I think Rooney is the most likely to still believe in Santa and uh, he definitely seems to be the only one that really believes in David. Well, David Moyes couldn't tell you whether he believes in Father Christmas or not, or at least he'd give an evasive answer about it. Essentially, he's been told that there is a Father Christmas, but he's also been told that there isn't a Father Christmas. He doesn't know who to believe, but the Coca-Cola advert seems fairly convincing to old Davey. Very good. At Awate91 asks an extremely pertinent question. Giggsy hasn't got his one for this season yet. At what point do you panic and play him up front as a poacher? It's a good question, that. Good, good question. I mean, uh, obviously, once United are sort of 10 or 15 points clear come the end of the season, you'll want to be you know, laying it on a plate for him. Yeah, I don't know. But if he hasn't scored near the end of the season, we get a penalty. Giggs is taking it, all right? And I don't care if I have to run on the pitch and stop the game. He's going to take that penalty. Uh, talking of having to run on the pitch, at Noha Heroes here asks, can you play centre midfield? And if yes, are you busy on Saturdays? Uh, yes, I can. Would you, would yeah, you yeah, do, yeah, a, do job? a job in the centre midfield? But I have, I, I, you know, I have quite a lot of commitments on Saturdays, not, not least you know, watching the game. <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. But you'd have a really good view of the game, of bits of the game, anyway. Mm. At Phil Gatt says, do not read until Thursday. What did you think about Ashley Young's hat-trick against Stoke in the garlic? So he's magnificent. <laughs> I always knew he was the second coming of Lionel Messi. Yeah. And at Jonas Holmes 21 says, who would make the best mall Santa out of the current squad? <laughs> like, you just put it on a plate for us in the manner that the gentleman enjoys having things put on the plate for him. It's obviously Anderson. <laughs> right? Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> um, well, right. Of course, Anderson has said ho, ho, ho many times, just not the way we like to think about it. Allegedly. So, uh, one thing that's not alleged is that we get to play the magic, incredible football easters that are Big Sam's uh, West Ham. I was going to say, you're talking about Hull there, because Hull are quite high on the hipster scale at the moment, aren't they, you know? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm super into Hull, man. I really am. <laughs> <laughs> They've, they're managed by Steve Bruce. He is easily the man whose face I am most consistently shocked by the state of. I know that Steve Bruce's face is a state, but still, when you see him in high definition on your television in close-up, it is astounding how much of a state that gentleman's face is. But he's doing a fine job with Hull. But before that, uh, another man whose face was not made for high-definition televisions. Football team Sam Allardyce's West Ham. Ravel Morrison, will he come back to haunt Manchester United? Well, no, because West Ham can't score at all at the moment. I mean, there's much amusement uh, in some parts, mainly other parts of London, I suppose, that West Ham spunked 15 million on Andy Carroll. He hasn't played yet. That's the perennially injured and uh, non-scoring Andy Carroll. 
But yeah, they've got a real problem at the moment, West Ham. I mean, they're they're a point above the relegation zone. You'd say that the other favourites for relegation, Sunderland, Fulham, Crystal Palace, are all playing better football than the Hammers. And, and uh, this is just a major problem for them, not scoring goals, not winning games. Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. They've had a few good results, but they've mostly been outliers. The 3-0 against Spurs is the most notable one for them. And Allardyce currently favourite to be the next manager sacked. I guess we should maybe mention the fact that the Premier League's been absolutely decimated. Five managers already sacked this season. And since we last recorded a podcast, two sackings. And I'll be very interested in your take on both of those. I thought that they both seem reasonably harsh but the Steve Clark one in particular seems to border on the ridiculous given they beat United this season uh, were very very unlucky in uh, not beating Chelsea right you know very poor decision when against them there and they, sure they've had uh, last six games two draws and four losses but talk about short termism you know I think most people felt that Steve Clark was doing a very good job at West Brom yep they're in a bad position in the table yep their form hasn't been very good recently they've got some good players there and Steve Clark's been doing a good job I just think it's very, very blinkered thinking. Which, of course, is the same thing that's happened to Tottenham. I mean, six managers in seven years at Tottenham. If they want to break into the top four, they can't just keep firing managers all the time. And, and the one with villas Boas, the trouble here is, yes, he's had 18 months, but really you have to split that into two, don't you? You have to give him last season, in which Spurs were pretty good. Uh, and maybe some of it, you know, masked by Gareth Bale's brilliance and then this season in which they've struggled a little bit uh, it's all relative I suppose but they brought in what seven new players over the summer of course they were going to struggle and of course anyone who was sensible would say they'd have a, be- a better second half of the season than their first totally agree with all that analysis I think it's really this has got to be the first time in living memory that Spurs have sacked a manager when they were above United in the table for example the flip side of that is that Villas Boas, I think, has made some really big errors. And this business of the high line, you know, this kind of complete obsession with the high line when he just hasn't got the personnel for it. I mean, they were torn asunder by Liverpool. And Liverpool are good this season. Uh, you know, no great pleasure to say that, but it's undeniable that they're, they're spearheaded by Suarez, by racist footballer Luis Suarez, into being a very effective side indeed. Racist footballer Luis Suarez definitely raising the performance of the players around him. He is. Uh, after, of course, racist footballer Luis Suarez pretty much asking for a transfer in the summer, yeah. But look, I, I agree with you. Um, he's playing some very, very slow players in the centre of defence. United's response to playing some very, very slow players in the centre of defence is either to drop them, as happened against uh, Aston Villa, Ferdinand and Vidic, uh, not in the team, uh, or to drop deep, which of course causes its own problems, but you don't generally get spanked 5-0 or 6-0 if you do that. And that, and that is agrees some tactical errors but he's trying to get his team to play in a certain way and there's a feeling that he's a dogmatic manager you know he he has this idea in his head about how he wants his team to play and he's going to get them to play that way whether he's got the right personnel or not and the other criticism here of course is that he's not driving the transfer business it's Levy and Baldini and they've not bought him the players he needs to play in the way that Villas-Boas wants to play. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And the other thing is that then when your job is to be the head coach, the man management side of it becomes absolutely vital, right? That, that, that It's kind of the be all and end all really of that role. If you're not responsible for shaping the club as a whole, then you've got to be sure that you're the kind of man to get the best out of those players. And maybe Spurs just don't believe that he is. I mean, I, I, I think both sackings are kind of ridiculous, but I 
do think looking at it from the outside that Villas Boas one makes slightly more good reasons for that but then all that's completely thrown out the window when you think about the way that club has been run over the last seven years because it is a complete shambles I mean it's just it's just a disgrace and and they'll never get where they're trying to get to like this unless they get extremely lucky and find the right man for the job and he hits the ground absolutely flying you know because that that seems to be what has to happen and and just to go uh, briefly back to Liverpool and Spurs this is you know the, the two sides met one of whom kept the player that really wanted away in the summer and the other one didn't you know and and that's that's what was the result anyway talking of results uh, West Ham are rubbish uh, we are going to beat West Ham at home I'm highly confident of that maybe maybe after we record the bit uh, if we lose to Stoke 4-0 I'll feel less confident about that but that's only the League Cup so um, I, 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 I'm I sure we're going to beat West Ham aren't we yeah I, and West Ham can't score goals did, did I say that already <laughs> yeah, Funny. Yeah. so in, in this game we've predicted in this podcast I'm sorry uh, we've predicted that Ashley Young will score a hat-trick and that uh, Hernandez will score a hat-trick and that United will lose to Stoke. <laughs> and, and, that it, and that it was a draw, even though such things are not even technically possible. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the West Ham lineup devoid of confidence uh, up front. Morrison, their best player by a mile uh, he just looks miles too good for West Ham I hope he keeps his head together long enough to get a proper move and it'll be interesting to see how United back to United yeah it'll be interesting to see how United oh yeah maybe uh, we could probably do with him but it'll be very interesting to see how we line up against uh, Big Sam's goal machines because as you say Jones and Evans got the defensive nod Vidic injured Ferdinand definitely dropped uh, and probably going to stay dropped for this one be interesting to see who's back from injury and whether we are faced with yet another cleverly gigs midfield or if Fellaini comes back from his back injury or if Anderson gets to play football no that, that's never going to happen is it no he's too busy with the uh, being a mall centre isn't he <laughs> Yeah. What's your prediction for the sort of the team lineup in that one? I, I think it'll look reasonably similar to the one that, that played against Aston Villa, I suppose. Assuming that United made a significant amount of changes for the Capital One Cup game against Stoke, I think we'll be back to the Saturday team for United's Saturday fixture. Saturday at three o'clock. Miracles do happen. <laughs> they do. Um, they do. I, I'm, I, I'm sure it'll be an attacking lineup. Um, obviously, Van Persie's not back. Neither is Carrick. But you know, we'll we'll probably get a, a, a Rooney Hernandez, Rooney Welbeck front line. Um, Kagawa's been out for a few games now with this mystery blowfish illness. I assume he'll be back. Uh, it sounds like he, he uh, would be back midweek. I'm mixing all sorts of tenses up in that sentence. So yeah, attacking lineup uh, against a team that doesn't score. I'm quite sure. I'm you know I'm pretty confident the United will go out and win. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. Much, much less confident against Steve Bruce's resurgent Hull City Tiger Maulers. They're great. They are pretty great this season. Much sympathy for the Hull fans having to put up with their ridiculous owner making ridiculous decisions about the future of their club. Very, very depressing and all horribly modern football. But on the pitch, Bruce has got um, a team together and they're they're playing really well. They're, they're, they're a, a match for anyone in this league. Yep. Beat Liverpool, uh, did pretty well against Arsenal, I thought. Uh, I had a couple of you know, very tight games against Swansea and Stoke recently. You know, they're, they're playing some good football. They're tactically flexible. Bruce has got them playing with a back three uh, a lot of the time, which is uh, very, you know, well up the hipster rankings, isn't it? Back three? That's, uh, wow. Uh, and and playing some nice football. And, uh, you know, ex-Red James Chester is in there at the back 
playing some good stuff as well and they've got some good players in there and they're a match for for many teams especially at home uh, and I'm sure they'll give United a good game on Boxing Day let's hope United players haven't been round to Anderson's on Christmas Day He's Dan McDonald's, isn't he? No, I mean, I, I, I think it's going to be extremely tough that game. That, that's, that's what I think. I think of all our little Christmas run of fixtures. So even though we're not getting into it because we do a podcast on, on sort of sometime around that weekend after that game, we then play Norwich away, then Spurs at home in, in the league, uh, and uh, Swansea at home in the cup. So it's, you know, it's going to be an interesting Christmas period because although we should definitely start that off with a win against West Ham, I think, I think it starts to get messy then because it's going to be really season defining this period at Christmas when you when I looked at the fixtures they came out I thought oh yeah that's, that's pretty tasty actually for a Christmas run um but but you know if it, if it starts on a poor footing it could it could start to slip away pretty quickly so vitally important well it it could yeah, look, I keep saying it. it. This is so important, this period. And I'll tell you why. Just go look at the fixture list for January and February. So if United get through in the Capital One Cup, if United have just got through in the Capital One Cup, uh, we'll have two semi-final legs in that January period, as well as an FA Cup game, as well as a game uh, against Spurs and against Chelsea, right? So it's a super, super tough January period. Look at February and you're talking about a Champions League round of 16 game, potentially a final of the Capital One Cup, but potentially another FA Cup game, uh, games against Manchester City and Arsenal as well, right? So this is a really tough couple of months January and February. If United haven't picked up as many points as possible, it's going to. This is could be really, really season-defining in a major scale that period. So really important that United do win. Hull might be a tough game, but it's is a must-win. Sorry, you know it's a cliche, but must-win for United. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, even though Hull have been pretty good and they are playing three at the back, I think we've we've potentially got the tools in our toolbox to unlock three at the back in that we've got Danny Welbeck in our team so you know well got the perfect tools right do you know to beat three at the back you have to play with two players very wide and have someone in the middle who's uh, able to switch the ball to either side uh, it's the, the classic way of beating that uh, and uh, you'd push your wingers you know very high up the pitch and, and uh, force their defenders to get their wing backs to defend and then you overload on one side and uh, you know you want your quarterback in there which is a shame Michael Carrick won't be around but yeah, that's why it's a tactic that's ten- generally not used very often, because uh, especially in England, because uh, so many teams do play with wide players. Yeah, absolutely. And it might be that Steve Bruce uh, mixes it up against United, because as you say, some tactical flexibility there. Uh, Bruce maybe you know, auditioning to be David Moyes' replacement, what do you reckon? <laughs> <laughs> no no chance, yeah. More, more chance of the FA uh, siding with the whole fans uh, and uh, disallowing this uh, ridiculous name change to whole Tigers this being the same FA that allowed Wimbledon to move to Milton Keynes so uh, we don't wish Hull fans the pain of the name change but we do wish them the pain of a Boxing Day loss um, as we hope that United march on through the Christmas period and what are you predicting score wise I'm going 2-0 against West Ham and 2-1 to us against Hull yeah I I think United I think we're back we're back on track at least you know during this short period so and uh, you know perfect size to play at the moment I think so uh, a 3-0 victory against West Ham and I'm going to say 2-0 against Hull 5 goals 2 wins 6 points come on you Reds
And it's interesting, if we have lost against Stoke, this is the optimism we felt before we lost against Stoke. And if we won against Stoke, this is the optimism that's carried on all the way through the week. So lovely. It might be a schizophrenic podcast, you know. There are only two rank casts. Um, if you uh, celebrate Christmas, have a very, very merry and lovely Christmas. Uh, and if you don't, have a really nice week. And we will see you... Non-denominational winter festival of your choice. <laughs> Absolutely. I believe that's the official rank cast uh, agreed language on the subject, isn't it? Um, so yeah, enjoy your non-denominational winter festival of your choice. And we'll be back sometime after Boxing Day uh, with another one of these. Merry Christmas. Bye now. Merry Christmas. Bye.